0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankerharvest.org. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you came. I was glad to see the rain. We've been a little bit of a dry spell there. Get that last little growth on that grass before winter comes for the cows. If you got cows, you understand. If you don't, you don't understand. Once you see them skinny cows out there, you'll be like, oh man, it's a good thing it rained. Uh, October 8th, we were supposed to have this thing for the ladies on October 8th. We're going to have to change that. Um, uh, We're going to have Bob Coy's uh, memorial service October 8th at 10 o'clock here at Plant Girl Harvest. I pray you'll come and be an encouragement to Jan. I I talked to Jan. I talked to her this morning. She's doing as good as can be expected. She's actually doing very well. She's a tough lady. Um, you know, it was a weight lifted for Bob to pass. He was just in such terrible suffering. He passed away last Sunday about 6 o'clock in the evening. And, um, and it was good to be there um, when he passed and to see his face relaxed. He's been so, his face was so distorted with pain for so long. It was good to see him just relaxed and, and watch him pass. It was hard for them, for their family. But we're waiting till October 8th because uh, uh, Bob Jr., Bob, he's not Bob Jr., but Bob's son, Bob, is in um, uh, Italy. He's in the military. He's a Navy intelligence guy, so we're waiting on him to get his leave settled where he can come and and be here for that. So that quilting bee, we're going to move it off till October 22, and uh, so a couple weeks later on Saturday. So just ladies that are interested in that, we'll get that changed and and just be looking forward to doing that. And we're going to have a meal after that. Um, a catered meal after uh, the after the memorial service. And so I pray you'll kind of make plans on that Saturday, um, October 8th, to come and be a part of that and, and encourage Jan in that and, and just be together as a church family and, and it'll be a good time. It sounds like it'll be a bad time, but it'll be a good time. Those those are those good memorial services are like a family reunion of sorts. Uh, Haley Stewart, who is Jed's... Jed can't even remember that it's his first cousin, but it's Jed's first cousin, Haley, is uh, a missionary to Jordan, and she'll be here tonight. Uh, She's one of the missionaries that we support through our fellowship, so I pray you'll come and and hear her tonight. She's came, and it's been a couple years ago now. I would say it was at least two years ago that she came and spoke to us about what she's doing there. Um, She works as a nurse and as a a missionary there in Jordan, and uh, so she'll be here tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, and I pray you'll come hear her. I think that's all the is there something else? Is there something else I was supposed to mention? Someone? I think that's all I got there. Uh, anybody know what today is? The holiday today? Anybody? Rosh Hashanah. I got one, one good Mexican man who, when the Jewish holiday was, <laughs> he, he knew it was today's Rosh Hashanah, and in, in, uh, he's part—he's half Jewish, half Jewish, half Mexican there. And uh, <laughs> and he knew that today was rushing. No, it's good. Um, Numbers chapter 29, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, for it's a day of blowing the trumpet. Actually, it was yesterday. I cannot tell a lie. It was yesterday. But we're going to talk about it today. And this it's, it's is New Year, so Happy New Year. Um, that throws people off to break out the New Year thing there in September, October. But it's it's um, people ask me why we talk about these Jewish feasts and things like that. Um, here, or why would it matter? And for a number of reasons, it matters. I, I believe in the book, the whole book, and nothing but the book, so help me God. I believe that in the first part of the book is important as the last part of the book. And God's Word talks about these feasts. Why did, the, why did God spend so much time in the first five books of the Bible emphasizing these feasts, feast days? Why did Jesus celebrate the feast? Why did Paul celebrate the feast? Why did Paul say, I have to get back to Jerusalem? For the feast. Why did he say that? If it wasn't important, why was it important to Paul? Why was it important to Christ? Why was it important to Peter? Why did they keep the Sabbath? Why did they keep those days? They kept them because it's a, it's a reminder. Jed gave a message. We weren't, in, we weren't running two weeks and he gave this remember to remember. That was the name of his message. Remember to remember. The reason we keep the feast is to remember to remember. The reason we keep the feast so we remember is so that we don't forget. We don't forget a lot of things. Um, there was a number of statements reminding the jews not to forget the the feast days were specifically mentioned for that purpose and i see in the old testament that there's a place for the gentiles there was a mixed multitude that came out of egypt those that attached themselves to god's chosen people there was a place for them to be in god's presence from the old testament there's a place for them to be attached to god's presence in the new testament In the Old Testament, there's a place for them to be saved physically by being affiliated with God's people, for coming out of Egypt with them, for hearing the Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai. And the the second part was for them to be following the same God as the Israelites. Their salvation was attached to the salvation of the Jews. It was still based on faith, just like it is today. If you go to the New Testament, you'll find the same scenario. Um, Jesus stating specifically that he came to the house of Israel first. He told Paul to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So if you're not Jewish like our friend Charlie Alva over here, then you, you're, you're a Gentile. You're one or the other. You're not Jews, Gentiles, and Arabs. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. You're one or the other. But you can be uh, a part of the Jewish olive branch. You can be a part of the, You can be the wild olive that's grafted in to the true olive. You can be the wild grape that's grafted into the true vine. Jesus called himself the true vine. I am the true vine. There was this like 1500 year separation that occurred from about the time of Constantine, about 300 there, a little after 300 AD, till about the early 1800s, where people really, where the Gentiles kind of got a hold of the scriptures and we can talk about this in more depth at another time, but the Gentiles got a hold of the Scriptures. They wrested them out of the hands of the Jews. The Jews really wanted to hold on to the Old Testament, and the Gentiles really wanted to amplify the New Testament. And what they did was they started kind of preaching against anything Jewish, really started with Constantine. In fact, they actually changed the day of worship that we worship on now. We worship on Sundays now because up until about 300, christians gentiles and jews all worshiped on saturday constantine changed it to sunday and it had a lot to do with a lot of things that we don't have to get into right now but the point is is that it really worked in satan's favor to draw this dif- this dividing line this defining line between jews and gentiles rather than calling them the people of god or god's people he drew a line between them and it made them have to have two separate things and it draw- got this enmity between the jew and the gentile and it shouldn't be so but it's just somewhat recently that men have begun to figure out that those, those feasts were put in God's Word for a reason. And they're mentioned in the New Testament for a reason. And when the Lord returns, when Christ returns, He's going to return, most likely, on the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. It'll be in that time period, which is one of the fall feasts. He's already satisfied, Jesus already satisfied all the spring feasts. Passover and unleavened bread and all those. He's already dealt with all those, Pentecost. And now we look forward to these fall feasts at the end of times. So the Gentile didn't replace the Jew, but he became a caretaker of the word. Uh, The word was once the sole guardianship of the Jew, but look right here in Romans chapter 3, if you will. Um, What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. What's the advantage of being a Jew? Much in every way. Chiefly, primarily because to them was committed the oracles of God the Jew was super careful in maintaining God's word from time that it was first given to Moses it was handled carefully actually it calls him Abraham the Hebrew so even from Abraham so even further back, but they were careful to keep the word and to keep it. And they were really careful when they wrote the word down. They were just having to rewrite it, rewrite it. So they assigned these guys, the scribes, and then they had the guy that's overlooking the scribe, the, the Levitical priesthood. And he's watching him as he wrote every letter, making sure they were in the same order. They have a, um, like a big um, graph, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, and then the same on the side. And there was certain letters that went in each hole on each page. And they did this forever so that the word was always the same and they guarded it. And it was, it was a major deal. If they messed up one letter, they didn't have white out to scribble it out. They just tore it out or they cut it off and they burned it and they attached a new piece of parchment on there, attached a new piece of skin on there and started over. They were super careful with maintaining the word of God and, and they revered the word of God. I went to, uh, I've been to more than one Messianic Jewish thing and, and when, they, when they bring it out, it was just like this lady with this Bible. I wanted you to see this video this morning because the reverence that this woman had for the word of God to have it in her hand and to possess God's word into her hand and they bring out the word of God to the Jews. They bring it out. They unzip the tabernacle or unwrap it and it's called the tabernacle. It's this little tent and inside they got the scrolls and they pull the scroll out and the people go <gasps> and then they bring the scroll out and they bring it to the first guy and people are crying and they're kissing the scroll, and then they take it to the next one, he kisses the scroll, and they kiss the scroll. They take it to every person in the fellowship, and they kiss the scroll. The Word of God, so good, it's so, it's so delightful, so delicious. Oh, if I could touch it, if I could possess one for myself, $100,000 for the whole Bible, that's about what it costs now. If you want a true scribe written scroll on the lambskin, overseen by the Levitical priesthood, that's not with the... The little silver ends, that's not with the tavern. hundred grand. So it means a lot. It costs a lot. And it's worth a lot. It has great value to the Jew. And to the Gentile, we got stacks of Bibles. And they're laying everywhere. And we hold up the short leg of the table with one. And it's all dusty sitting on the, on the countertop not being read. Rather than weeping to have it in our hands and to be so so grateful to God to have a copy. So anyway... The Gentiles began to see the Jews as Jesus killers, rather than those that were given the the, the committed to them the oracles of God, and it be, and it caused a separation there. And it's sad, but the Gentile today is saved in the same way the Jew is saved today by faith in Christ, by the covering of His blood and His righteousness. And I just tell you that to tell you that the times of the fall feast is when we should be looking forward, most forward to the return of Christ. And we can find that in Thessalonians, we can find that in Matthew. The the trumpet blast that brings Christ and his people to meet him in the air. So let's look at these trumpet blasts. I thought we might get a, give us a good trumpet blast there. So we got different trumpet blasts. So let's, let's hear one. This is our trumpet player. That's the best you got? Let's try one more. One more. One more. Put some, put some horsepower in it now. That's how I play it. That's good. I know that sounds kind of weird. You're like, man, some <laughs> these people came. They're, they're traveling through, and they're like, of all the churches we could have come to this morning, we came to this, this nut making us play the, the ram's horn in front of the church. But hang with me, hang with me. We don't do that every week. So yesterday was Yom Teruah, the day of blowing. And according to Jewish tradition, to hear, there's a blessing affiliated with hearing the trumpet being blown. And it's not uh, it's not considered a day that was successfully accomplished unless you heard the shofar blown. It wasn't, you, you didn't complete the day. The day of blowing. Not just hearing it, like you hear a, a, a horn or a siren passing in traffic, you hear it and you just you know you discard it as it goes by but um it was listening with intention so there was three different trumpet blasts so you had to be listening for the one that told the story of the uh, uh, the story it was supposed to tell um the best way to fulfill the biblical commandment of number, numbers 29 in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall have a holy convocation that means meeting together which we're doing you shall do no customary work For it's the day of blowing the trumpets or blowing the shofar. But it doesn't say trumpet or shofar in the Hebrew. It just says it is the day of blowing. Um, That's kind of interesting. So the three kind of horn blows. Well, let me back up. The best way to fulfill the biblical commandment, listening with intention. It's a good picture for us. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to hear the word preached. And it's something else to listen with intention. Like I'm hearing, I'm writing it down, I'm soaking it in with the purpose of being filled to overflowing so that when I go back out, I can intentionally give it to someone else. Many times we come to check off the church thing on our list or we come because we're hungry, we're going to eat afterwards or we come for whatever reason, we come. And it's not intentional. A lot of things we do as Christians is not intentional, tragically. So three types of horn blows. The first one is Takaya. That was the the blast that he did, the one long sustained blast. And this was just a signal that the watchman would give a kind of a on the hour, on the quarter hour or whatever. Like when you're on ship and they blow the whistle, they'll wear you out with the whistle on ship. There, every hour they blow the whistle and then they have their announcements or whatever and uh, do it. And the bell, ding ding. Oh yeah, ever. How many bells? And and everything's good. It's the same thing. So the watchman, he's on the he's on the he's on the 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 surrounding thing, and he blows the horn, he blows the shofar, and that says, I'm, I'm at my post, and everything's good. Everybody rest well. First hour, third hour. You know how it says in the Bible on about the third hour, on about the you know sixth hour, or whatever. He's blowing the trumpet. It's good to know that the watchman is standing watch. He's, he's not just sitting there looking on his iPhone. He's actually looking over the wall, making sure no bad guys are coming. The second one is Shevarim, and I am is multiple in, in any Hebrew word. Elohim, it's the multiple. Um, so Shevarim is three successive blasts, and that signifies a coming event, like a significant event, like a famous person has showed up, uh, there's going to be a, a meeting of the minds. We need this or that to happen. Uh, there's some call for assembly for important news to pass to all the people in the, in the city. And it was a welcome sound because it, was, uh, it meant generally good news. We're going to pass the word. It's going to be good news. And the last one is the one for today, which we didn't do it correctly. But I did spring it on Ken there kind of early to play the trumpet. And, and, uh, but it's one of nine blasts. And if you, if you hear the Jews do it, they give one long blast to get your attention. And then they go, one long blast. So they do nine blasts, a long blast, nine blasts, and a long blast. And this is a bad, the nine, when you hear the nine blasts, that's not a good thing. It means that something is, is, is happening, something negative. It's an attack on the people. And it means to assemble for war. That's what it means. So the day, the Feast of Trumpets, is technically would be better called the Day of Alarm. It's the wake-up call. So we've got three feasts in short order coming here. We've got the Feast of Trumpets, and we have the Day of Atonement. That'll be next week. And in immediately following Day of Atonement, we have the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of, of, of Tents, right? And that's where you made these little outdoor... Uh, things and you were supposed to live in it for a week and, and remind how your forefathers came through Egypt and came out of Egypt and lived in the in the elements for so long but the first one is the day of alarm Rosh Hashanah it's the warning that something bad is coming it's the new year but it's the day of alarm the wake up the wake up call why should Israel, or why should we be concerned or be alarmed, why should we be worried about playing a trumpet on today, um, this time of year? I mean, this is the time of year, if you know, if you're a farmer, if you have any farm, anything, yesterday was the apple, well, it's still today too, and it's a nice little thing over there at, at Homestead, I suggest you go, the Apple Festival. And I will say there's not a lot of apples there. There was one guy selling apple pies and one guy selling apples, and everybody else was selling honey and uh, every other kind of... But but even it still works because they were selling every kind of canned good, because the farming season's over. The only thing I got left right now I got dry dead standing corn, I got pumpkins, and I got some okra. Man, that okra once it starts on it's like it's like murder. You're picking it every day, you know. But uh, but there's not there's nothing left to harvest. You know. Oh, I got some greens. I got turnip greens. If you like turnip greens, come pick some. But the crops are in. We all we got to do now is rest. Right. Everything's in the barn. And then we got a couple weeks before we start feeding cattle, you know, before it starts freezing, we don't have any grass growth, we got to feed cattle. So you got a time of rest. It's the final days of putting up the apples, of putting up the wine that's going to hang with you through the through the winter. Um, there'd be a lot of produce, like there was a lot of canned goods at the thing. Uh, Loretta brought me some canned, some canned stuff this morning. Um, so what do we have to fear? Let's go to Roman, oh, I'm sorry, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read the whole chapter If you're new to our fellowship, I I would give you these two warnings. When we read the Bible, we try to read large parts of it so we don't take things out of context. And when we do something to do with missions every week, our church is primarily oriented towards missions and doing mission work. Um, We we give in the range of about $70,000 a year, more or less, to missions, either going on missions or supporting missionaries. And uh, we feel that that's been our call from the get-go, is to go and plant churches and, and make disciples and go on mission trips and encourage others to, to, to find salvation through Christ. Um, and so when we read the scriptures, we usually read long passages, and so, so put, your, put your pew belt on, as Roland used to say, and, and, and hear Deuteronomy chapter 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go uh, go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. <clears throat> so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man shall not live by bread alone, but by But man lives by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water to you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Pretty, pretty serious, like a blessing and a curse all in one message there. And he said that the main purpose of this time coming from Egypt, going through the wilderness to get to the land, to get to the border, to get to Jordan, to cross in, the main purpose was to test you, to see if you could handle abundance. Most people cannot. You see our country, our country is filled with abundance, and people are completely dissatisfied and angry. Could you be filled with abundance or could you pass through suffering recognizing that it's God who supplies every need according to his riches and mercy ultimately in order, what it says there in verse 16, to do good to you in the end? Can you see it? Do we have any cause as believers for alarm? This Yom Teruah, that's today or yesterday, the the blowing of the trumpet, it's the preparation for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This is the, the wake-up call of the, the Day of Atonement. We have the blessing, you have the opportunity. I don't know if you read the, the little devotional this morning, but <clears throat> it says, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. It's talking about Achan and, and how he sinned against uh, the Israelites when he took things that he lusted for in, in uh, Jericho. And, and he, he couldn't wait. He wasn't willing to wait for the goodness of God to provide everything. If he'd have waited for them to take Ai, if he'd have waited for them to take any of these other uh, uh, cities, he'd have had so much gold he couldn't have carried it all. But he couldn't wait. And so he saw, it says, I saw that wedge of gold and I coveted it. And he took it and he gave his life for it, for a wedge of gold. But he'd have had, you know, whatever, a camel load of gold if he'd have just hung in there and just believed and acknowledged that it's God who cared for him in every step of the way up to this point. If he'd have just waited, God's going to do you good in the end. But he had to wait. This day is a day that's intended for us to turn our minds from the secular things of the summer season. And by secular, I mean God gives us things, he gives us work. Man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. He gave Adam work right from the very beginning. One of the first things he did is gave him work to do. He gave him dominion over the garden. Told him to name the animals and care for the garden. We're designed to work. And so we work hard in the summer. And in in this more rural areas, you know, people tend to do more gardening and more things like that in the summer. Or or nowadays, we have such abundance. We go on vacations or, or sports or whatever we do in the summer. But now, it's time to wake up. You've been... You've had your head down all summer. You've been working the garden. You've been tilling and hoeing and whatever you've been doing. And now it's time to, to raise your eyes and to remember the God who provided the provision of the summer. One, I've told you this before, but Zach, Zach understands maybe more than anybody. But um, I really like, it sounds crazy, but I really like cutting timber. And I think it's because I didn't have anything to do with planting the timber. If I, if I had to put my finger on what it is, I didn't have anything to do. It's this giant plant. That's what a tree is. It's a huge plant, right? And you go out there with your chainsaw, and you cut it. And if you measure it right, and you don't split it, dropping it and you cut it to length, and you load it on a trailer, and then you take it to the sawmill down there in Sparta, Savages, and then they give you money for this plant you never had any part. I I, I mean, it's 100, 200 years old, some of these. We cut a 42-inch stump poplar that doesn't mean anything to you but uh corey i got a picture of corey she's not a giant but this poplar she's standing beside it's this tall on her the stump i mean laying on its side the this, the butt end of this log is this tall on corey and by tricks and and magic we got it on the trailer and we picked up one end and rolled the trailer and pushed it on her i don't even remember what it brought it brought a lot we had nothing to do with growing that that tree we cut a 16 foot with a 42 inch stump poplar. We got like three logs out of this one tree and it brought, say it brought $500, whatever it brought. And we had nothing to do with the production of the tree, with the the seed that came, you know that seed that came all the way from Adam through Noah. The seed for that poplar. It's been propagating all this time and planting, replanting. And so it. so I had nothing to do with any of that. The Lord did all of it. And He's like, I'm going to give you that. All you got to do is go cut it down. Go cut it down, put it on a trailer, take it to the thing. And then you'll get money for it. And, and then ultimately, uh, we end up buying a sawmill and sawing our own. And then you can make boards out and you can make stuff out of this tree. You had no part. And he gave us the ability to do all that. He gave us the wisdom, intelligence, the, the capability and all that. It says that he gives us the power and the might to gain wealth. But You're going to have to go do it. But he gives us that power. And all summer long or all whatever time I focused on cutting these trees down or I focused on growing a garden or I focused on having some cattle or focused on whatever business it is that you do. And now it's time for a warning blast to, to get your mind back where it's supposed to be. The man blows the shofar. And you're like, oh, what am I supposed to be focused on? I focused on myself. I focused on taking the good of the land, which was, God told me I could do that. I could take dominion over the earth. I can dig the gold out of the earth. I can find the jewel in the earth. I can make the coal or the the iron or the copper. I can make it into things. I can do stuff with it. But I got to remember where it came from because he provided it all. And he placed it all there for me. God in his goodness knew that me and Zach Miller and Corey would go out there and cut this tree down. And he, time, eternity passed, he put it in this plan in place that that tree would be there that we could cut and take advantage of and, and put it on the trailer. and it's, it's incredible. And, and in that, we forget his holiness because we're so worried about getting the tree on the trailer and making the dollar that we forgot it was the God of the universe that put it there, that put us here, that gave us the ability, that gave us the income to buy the saw, a big chainsaw, a thousand bucks. And he gave us the ability to make the money, to buy the saw, to cut the tree, to put it on the trailer, to buy the trailer, to take it to the sawmill, that the sawmill was in place. Do you see all how big it is and how little you are and how much God has done and how we forget? And he says, well, just, we'll, we'll have this feast and we'll blow the trumpet, God says, and then you'll remember where you came from and what you are. It's a big deal. Um... So the, the first feast of these three, the, the blowing of the trumpet, is uh, it brings us back to a focus on spiritual things like, like God's holiness, like people's sin and their need for atonement and the failures. And just like in ancient Israel, the people today, us, you, me, and our nation, we need to be alarmed. We need to be afraid of the Most High God. Because it's by the awareness of sin that separates us from God that we recognize our need for atonement. We need to be reminded of that. Hey, it's almost time for the Day of Atonement. It's coming. You're going to have to mention all your sins and put them on the head of the goat and send them to the wilderness. You're going to have to do that. All the stuff that you put to the back of your mind, it's going to have to be dealt with. It's coming. Remember, play the trumpet. The trumpet shofar, it's a sound that would alarm us. If it was just completely quiet, and some, you know, you see those kind of jokes where the guy takes the air horn, you know, and his wife's reading a book or he sneaks up behind her. That's how, it, that's how it's going to be. Because you're going to be asleep. Did you do that, Charles? Charles looked at Loretta and laughed. Have you done that to her? Yeah. Okay. That's good. And then he slept in the living room by himself. Um, <laughs> that's how that works. Uh, but it was funny for the moment. Um, but that sound of alarm, it points us to the danger of remaining in sin uh, without atonement. It wakes us up. A lot of, the sound's been blown. Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities have separated, from your, separated you from your God. Or Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul who sins shall die. If the trumpet is blown and there's no response of the people, if the guy, the watchman of the wall blows the trumpet, he says the enemy's coming, and the people just keep doing what they're doing, well, then the enemy invades the city, and the city falls, and they're in, they're in slavery, or they're dead. So as believers in Yeshua or in Jesus Christ, we have no real cause for eternal alarm. If we've believed in Christ, confessed with our mouth um, that Jesus the Lord believed in our heart, God raised him from the dead, says, you will be saved. There's got to be some confession. There's got to be some belief. There's got to be repentance. There's got to be a following. You will be saved. So you really don't have a lot to, to fear as far as eternal things, maybe, if you've been redeemed by His blood. But we do need to be alerted because we're in this world but not of this world. And if we're not real careful, we do exactly what the Israelites have done here. This is the problem in the United States of America. This is exactly what's happened. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and your herds and your flocks have been multiplied. Your silver and your gold are multiplied. All that you have is multiplied. Your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bond. You forget that you were bought, purchased from the slave market of sin. You forget. So we've got to blow the trumpet. And you've got to have somebody remind you of what you forgot. It really comes to mind, I'm telling you, as we watch this, this nation... Um, when I was a kid, and I'm, I'm going to include Catholic in the number, but it was probably 75-80% would have said in the United States that they were Christian, as in they weren't Muslim or they weren't something else. I mean, it was a vast majority. And they, and uh, this recent poll said that in, in the next 10 years, it'll be less than 50% in the United States would profess themselves to be Christians, either evangelical or Catholic or even Seventh-day Adventists or whatever, if you're just grouping it in a large group, those that would claim Christ in some manner, that number's going to go under 50%. Why? Because people quit blowing the trumpet. Everybody's gone to sleep. Uh, many have forgotten. And it's, it's important that we blow the trumpet in the culture amongst ourselves in order that we remember our God. We've had a quiet invasion. Maybe you know this or not. In the last two years, about 4 million people have invaded the United States through the southern border. I read an article uh, yesterday, and it said Venezuela, of 150-something thousand people that came in one month, like 55,000 of them were from Venezuela. And Venezuela is particularly poor. We know we have friends of our fellowship that are from Venezuela, one of the finest people I know, Uh, Marlene, great evangelist, good lady from Venezuela, her brother, and whatever. A lot of them have come here from Venezuela, escaping communism, escape, escaping persecution, escaping starvation. But the Maduro, the president of Venezuela, what he's doing now is he's opening the prison doors and letting them go. He can't feed them, and guess where they're coming? Estados Unidos. That's here. They're coming here. And, I mean, if you were bad enough to be in prison in Venezuela, you're pretty bad. Um... And they're coming here. So this is kind of a double-edged sword. And I'm not, it's not just Venezuela that's coming. There's people from all over the earth that are coming. And it bring, it's a double-edged sword in that it brings the mission field directly to us, right? We don't have to go to Venezuela to preach the gospel to Venezuelans. All we have to do is go to wherever they're robbing the liquor store and then get the guy and preach the message of salvation to him, right? Or whatever he's doing. There's a lot of good... I mean, I, know, I understand there's a lot of good people that are just trying to make a better life. I understand that. Um, but the other thing is all these people that are coming in, not all of them are from South America, not all of them are Catholic background or Christian background or any kind of Christ-oriented background. A lot of them are Muslims. A lot of them are from Arabic countries. A lot of them are from India, Pakistan. A lot of them are for, from countries that want to harm us, right? And so those ones that come in, what they do is they taint the prosperity, the prosperity and they taint the faith of those that are here. They dilute it, right? We got 100% water and then we start adding little little just drops of something other than water and before long it's not 100% water anymore. And now we're at like 70-30. I don't know what we're drinking but we're not. it's not pure anymore. Psalm 79-1 says, Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. Did you know what was in there? Psalm 79-1. Isaiah 17, I wanted to read you this one so so true and i know it's largely talking about israel but um but we're seeing the same thing god disciplines nations the same way he always has he disciplines them people that say that they're god followers people that say they're christ followers and then turn away There's cycles of disciplines that he'll put on people some economic some through warfare Some through, it says in Romans, that Jed read this morning, that the hearts of the sons will be turned away from the fathers and the fathers will be turned away from the sons. And we've seen that in our country. We've seen discord between the children and the parents. No longer is there honor for the parents. There's a number of ways that God disciplines a nation in order to get their attention. But look here in 17, it says, Woe to the multitude of many people. Who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters. What's that talking about? It's talking about, if you've ever been to another country and you don't speak the language, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When all these people are speaking whatever language it is that you don't understand, it sounds like the waves crashing because you have no idea what they're talking about. And these people, this rushing multitude is coming... Um, uh, is coming into Israel and they're changing the language of Israel. If you went back there to uh, Ezra and Nehemiah where the people no longer spoke Hebrew and Ezra and Nehemiah got on them about it. Your children know the language of the Canaanites but they don't know the language of God. Your children, Christians sitting here today, know the language of the world but they don't know the language of God. They know all the lyrics to all the songs of all the worldly songs. They know all the movies and all the cuss words. They know all the language of the world, but they don't know the language of God's word because it's, it's, I like the word infiltration better than invasion because it's a quiet invasion. It's a, a sleepy invasion because believers, God-fearing people, have been asleep, and they kind of hope that the things that are happening won't, maybe the Lord will return before I have to, you know, maybe I'll die before I have to deal with that. I don't want to be in a, in a battle. I don't want to have to go to combat. I don't want to to kill anybody. I don't want to fight with anybody. I don't want to be imprisoned for my faith. I just, Maybe I'll just all lay down and I won't have to do anything about it. Um, people choose to close their eyes and plug their ears rather than defend the God of the Bible, rather than defend the God who saves, rather than defend Christ. They would rather let the transgender people do their thing rather than be the one father that stands up and goes down there and tells them to to shut up and get out. Because it's it's too scary. Because then the whole world will turn against you. And they're afraid. Many believers are terrified to speak out against the wickedness of this age and they hope for the Lord's return or their own death so they don't have to deal with it, but... So this infiltration, the Israelites won a couple of battles by means of infiltration. One was the battle of Ai. They they conned the the Aiites into chasing them out of the city, right? And then they went into the city and dispersed themselves around the city, and then lit the city on fire. And then they caught them in a you know. And Gideon, if you remember how Gideon won the battle with just three hundred men, he sloped up on them at night with his with the light in the in the, um, the vase with the trumpets and got amongst their mitts and blew the trumpet. Here's the thing, two sides to the story. Midianite guy asleep on the ground, an Israelite guy who, we're on Israelite guy's side, right? But what happens is when the invasion is complete, when the infiltration is complete and one of them blows the trumpet, it's all she wrote for the other side. It's too late. If the invasion is complete, if the infiltration is complete, it's too late for those who have never blown the trumpet of alarm. It's too late. Um, the, the infiltration, the invasion, I'm not just talking about the southern border thing. It, it, there was never an al- I mean, the alarm that was blown, it was ignored. It was like when you live in New York City, you know, and they just hear the horns all the time, and then they don't even hear it anymore. They hear the sirens and the horns. You go to Lima, Peru, it's just, it never, it's 24 hours a day, these horns and alarms and music blasting. And before long, and the, and all the Peruvians are sleeping like babies, and you're like, oh, I will never be, you know. You can't rest for all the noise. They can't hear it anymore. The alarms have been blown so long they don't hear it. And there's been very few people that have blown the alarm because God's people haven't maintained their watch. And they haven't kept their walls intact. And... um uh, if they had, this invasion wouldn't have been possible. Not just the southern invasion, but the invasion of the worldly view on Christians. Because we could have fixed it in the 60s, or we could have fixed it in the 50s, we didn't. And now it's so far removed from there that it'd be very, very difficult. The Roe versus Wade passing thing is beyond miraculous. You, You don't even know how miraculous that is. But what can be done once the wicked... Um, are obviously prospering in the land. That's what Jed said this morning. Why do the wicked prosper? It's always, it's in the Bible, it's there in Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? We always ask ourselves that. But how do you counter the wicked prospering? How do you counter it? It begins with someone who remembers the Lord. Isaiah, the Lord sent Isaiah, and he said, I'm going to send you. um, Here am I, Lord, send me. Okay, I'm going to send you but the people's hearts are going to be dull and their hearing is going to be plugged and their eyes are going to be closed. But I'm going to send you anyway. It's going to take an Isaiah. It's going to take a a Mattathias or Judas Maccabeus. You remember that story? Where they were just sick and tired of being pushed around by the Assyrians. They were absolutely sick of seeing uh, Judaism corrupted by the Hellenists. And they were going to do something about it. And so when these, when these Assyrians came in and they told this one priest and this priest leaned towards Hellenist um, and, and Mattathias saw that and he was going to have him bow the knee in front of this, this uh, Assyrian, Mattathias said, that's enough. And he goes over there and he kills them both. And he's like, we're not doing that here. We worship the one true God and you're not going to come in here and corrupt our temple. You're not going to come in here and corrupt our altars with your wickedness. And then it went from there. And they and they had Rome on the run there for a long time until about 70 A.D. It's going to take a Gideon, a man who recognized the failed state of his people and he was afraid, but then the Lord spoke to him and he was encouraged and he went and did. It's going to take that kind of person. And we've had those people, but um, we've been afraid to follow them. When people have stood up and been outspoken, um, Jerry Falwell whether you liked him or not he was very outspoken about what people need to do and he came up with the moral majority and he tried to get people to be moral and, and where he failed maybe was that it was trying to have morality without, without Christ or having conservatism without Christ and we have a lot of people in the United States that are that now they're conservatives without Christ and ultimately that'll fail we've got to have both but if you're in Isaiah just go over there to Isaiah chapter 34 Verse 16. Where's the answer? What can we do? What can be done? What I did, what Isaiah did, I, he's the one that walked around naked for six months. And um, I don't know if you can focus on what the person is saying if they're standing there naked, but they will get your attention. And But he did what God told him to do. So the first thing I got to ask you is, are you willing to do what God tells you to do? Because many of us, we heard the sound of alarm, and we know things are not good, but we're not willing to do what God tells us to do. We don't like it, we don't like how it is, but we're not willing to do what God calls us to do. But Isaiah 34, in verse 16, it says, Search from the book of the Lord and read, not one of these shall fail. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the prophecies up to this point all the promises up to this point. And I'm asking again, has the trumpet ever been blown? Yeah, it's been blown. It's been blown for a long time. Uh, I, <laughs> I was listening or I was reading old Charles Spurgeon and he's like, man, if we don't change, I mean, Charles Spurgeon, 18, what, 50, 60 in there? Man, if we don't change, you know, England's going to fall. It's going to fall to wickedness. You know, all these people are really following the Pope now. We need to, we need to get shook of that. We need to quit, we need to get rid of these old, it's like 1850, 60. He's like, man, we better, we better tune it up. We better turn it up. Now's the time. All we gotta do is we gotta look in the book and we gotta do whatever the book tells us to do. And if we do that, we're gonna be okay. And he was right in time England fell and it's very, though the queen, a lot of things were very Christian oriented around the queen, the one that's replacing the queen is not a Christian at all. So the trumpet's been blown, but usually the people that blow it is seen as crazy or conspiratorial. And uh, you probably think I'm crazy this morning after having... Well, Ken was the crazy one. He's the one that played it in front of all you people. But um, but this is the reality. It, the Lord will be glorified. If, if you've been called to do something crazy, you've read in the Word, you're sure it's the Lord speaking, and you're bold enough to walk naked in Crossville... Um, talking about the end is near or whatever, whatever you've been called to do. I'm not, I'm just, that's a joke. Jed, no, (laughs) no, don't do it. Um, But the Lord's going to be glorified. He's going to be glorified through the discipline of a once godly people. If he has to do that, he'll be glorified. Um, He'll be glorified by disciplining the people who lost their first love By taking every material thing that you have away from you, he'll be taking away your health. He can take away everything. He'll still be glorified. He'll still be God. You'll still be you. And you can actually find him in that. These people that I've seen in terrible suffering, health or other things, trauma with their kids or whatever, they get a closeness with God that they never had before when they had opulence. He'll be glorified by his ongoing care for any people who call upon his name. He'll be glorified through the rescue of a remnant from slavery. Whether he keeps you alive or whether he takes you in death, he'll be glorified. He'll be glorified when he judges the nations who have afflicted his people in time temporal today and time eternal. He'll be glorified in that as well. He'll be glorified. Regardless of your response, regardless of whatever suffering you go through, he will be glorified. All of everything is about God the Father and the Creator and his relationship to us, his people the sheep of his pasture, those who know him and are known by him. He will be glorified by his people's obedience. He will be glorified whether his people are obedient or not. But he will give us, this this is the thing about the the feast of trumpets. How many warnings have you received in your life? I mean, as a child where your parents warned you and beat you with the love of the Lord, with the warnings of whatever Sunday school lady or whoever led you to Christ, with the warnings of of those that you saw on television or Billy Graham or however many ways you heard the gospel, you've been warned. The day of atonement is coming. There is an atoning sacrifice. It's coming. And you need to be ready. When, when you see the Messiah lifted up between heaven and earth, you'll know that you could be saved. When you see that, when you act on that, you'll be ready for the Feast of Tabernacles. You'll be ready for God with us. You'll be ready to dwell with Him forever. If you don't wake up, if you don't pass through the atonement, you won't get to live in the tabernacles. Everything there. The trumpet of alarm is twofold. The notice of the coming God with us and the last chance for those that have rejected His glory now. <laughs> What's that? The scripture goes, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, how will the men react? They won't know what to do. If, if a Christian makes an uncertain sound in his life as he goes about and lives his life in an uncertain manner, as he lives out there, then the people that hear the sound of the trumpet from this, this corrupted believer, they won't know how to act. They won't know how to respond. The believer needs to make a certain sound He needs to be testifying of the goodness of God. He needs to live a life that is without reproach so that as people see him and they react to that life without reproach, they're like, "Uh, I need to live like that guy. That guy's living right. I'm living wrong. There's gotta be, when when we live exactly like the world, it's an uncertain sound. They're like, well, why have Christ? If if it's just um, a place to go on Sunday, I got other stuff to do on Sunday. I can go to the lake on Sunday. I can go a thousand places on Sunday. So you need to lay your sins on the head of the Lamb now. Let the the sound awaken you. Lay your hands on the head of the Lamb now and be freed uh, from the burden of sin. The the greeting next week on the Day of Atonement the final greeting is may your name be found written in the book. I pray that your name is found written in the book. I want to read this This chapter from Isaiah, we'll close with this as a prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read this together. It's a psalm of remembrance. It's in Isaiah. And it talks about a special place. And I want you to be there. It's Isaiah 35. It's relatively short, 10 verses. It says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel uh, Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come, he'll save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap about like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. If you hear the trumpet and you respond with repentance, then you can rest in paradise in the tabernacle for eternity. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come together today and hear the word spoken, Lord, I pray that the word that was spoken was the word you had for us today. I pray for hearts to be convicted. I pray that, that people would desire to have their eyes opened and their ears unstopped, that they would desire to drink of these pools in the thirsty land. I pray that it says even the fool who walks on the highway of holiness, that he won't go astray. Lord, I pray for this collection of fools that's here today, Lord, that we would maintain our steps that you would maintain us, that you would lead us on the highway of holiness and that you would maintain us as a set-apart people, a people that would seek your face and desire to be with you and be obedient to you, Lord, until your return. And I thank you for this Feast of Trumpets, Lord, the awakening that would remind us to seek your face while you can still be found. I pray for those that are here today, that they hear the word and they go away glad, that it would sink down in their hearts and they would be uh, confident to give it to someone else, Lord. It wouldn't be lost just, just here. Go with us now, Lord, I pray, and be with us as we, as we fellowship together, eat our meal together, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness to us, your long-suffering, Lord. And thank you for removing your, our reproach from us, Lord, through the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. We give you all glory and honor and praise in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we break up now, I pray that the word spoken, that you'll go back and check and see if I'm telling you the truth. And I pray you'll stay and eat with us today. And if anybody wants to talk, come prayer requests or anything like that, I'd like to come talk to me. Tonight, 6 o'clock, come see us, and, and we'll be worshiping together with our friend uh, Haley. God bless you all. Stay and eat.